In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a lot going on in this morning's gospel. We have John the Baptist giving his own account of Jesus' baptism, at the end of which he concludes by saying, this is the Son of God. And then we have Andrew and his compatriot, who had been followers of John the Baptist, encounter Jesus. And at the end of that, Andrew goes to tell his brother Simon, who will come to know best as Peter, that they have found the Messiah. A whole lot that we hear there. Jesus doesn't say very much, actually. Just two things. But the two things he says turn out to be essential. They are, what are you looking for? Which he addresses to Andrew and his friend. And then he says, invites them to come and see. This day is part of our three-day weekend in which we are meant to remember and honor and celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. And it's certainly true that if you ask anyone about the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King's name is the first name that they will associate with that movement. And the fact is, because his name is so well known, most of us rely on understanding King by reading perhaps some of what he wrote, maybe reading a few of the great speeches and sermons that he preached, or what we found in history books. The truth is that I am old enough that I vividly remember Martin Luther King's assassination and the aftermath, which was horrific. But even so, I haven't actually spent a lot of time listening to his speeches, his sermons. I've read snippets. I've read, you know, parts of the letter from the Birmingham jail. So this weekend, I decided to do a little listening. And there were some of the speeches that we all know, but the one I listened to and was really captivated by was actually his last speech. It was the one he gave on April 3rd, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee. He gave it at Bishop Charles Mason Temple there. He was not at the Riverside Church, that grand pulpit, though he did preach there many times. He was not speaking from his own and to his own congregation at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. He was not at the 16th Street Church where he lifted up and trained people to go out from that church and confront Bull Connor with his fire hoses and attack dogs. No, he was at Bishop Charles Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee. And he was there to support the sanitation workers who were on strike striking for a wage that would allow them to actually house and feed their families. Doesn't seem like a lot to ask for, but it was then and often in our country, I am very sad to say, it still is a lot to ask for, but that's why he was there. So when people talk about that speech, the two things they usually lift up is that he talks very clearly about all the rumors he's heard of the danger for him in Memphis. I don't think that's so significant. Danger was swirling around him absolutely every place he went. You know, it's nice that we like to think of him as a martyr and hero, but he was the most hated man in America at the time. So danger was not unfamiliar. 
Then the other thing they like to talk about is how in this speech, his last speech, which is of course a sermon, he says, I may not get to the promised land with you, but I have been to the mountaintop and I have seen it. It seems like such amazing foreshadowing and prophecy of his own death that is about to occur the very next day. So that was all there, but that's not what caught me. What caught me is actually what takes up the bulk of the sermon, which I'd never read about. He talks about having a fantasy where he would ask God if God would take him anywhere he wanted at any time in history. And if God said yes, where would he want to go? And so Martin Luther King says, I would ask God to take me to Egypt so that I could watch the Hebrew peoples making their way through the Red Sea and across the desert to the promised land. And then he says, but I wouldn't stop there. He goes on to say, I would ask God to take me to Rome in all its glory, and then on to Greece so that I could listen in to the great philosophers. Then he says, but I wouldn't stop there. Then he says, I would ask God to take me to Italy so I could see the Renaissance and all that culture and beauty, but I wouldn't stop there. And if God was still willing to take me, I would ask God to take me to see Martin Luther, my namesake, in Germany as he's about to hammer the 95 theses on the Wittenberg door and start the Reformation. And he says, but I wouldn't stop there. He says, where I would ask God to take me is to Memphis today. I would stop there. I would ask God to take me to Memphis today and stop there. It's pretty remarkable, it's pretty remarkable. I invite you to listen. But what I love is that's really Martin's answer to what he's looking for. He's looking for Memphis, not because of the city, but because that's the place where this man who knows Jesus knows he can join Jesus in doing the work for justice, for peace, for racial and for economic equality. He wants to join Jesus where Jesus is right then, and that would be in Memphis. Martin did not want to end his life as a tourist. He wanted to end his life as a disciple. I expect we all have places we want to see and places we want to go. Goodness knows I do. But if we're really going to think about our lives, then we have to hear Jesus say, what are you looking for? And then, if we answer with Martin that what we want to do is help fulfill Jesus' own work of freeing the captives, binding up the brokenhearted, giving the blind sight, if we really want to join that, then we have to 
see where we are right now, where we are, which for us is New York City, and get on with Jesus, who is at work right here, right now, in trying to create a world in which there is racial and economic justice, where there is equality and peace. Jesus always wonders what we're looking for. And Jesus always invites us to come and see. So what I would say is that we should do that. We should accept that invitation because Martin didn't end his life as a tourist. He ended it as a disciple. So should we. Amen.